think I've mentioned a timer 100. I'm a big sports person. So, uh, today I want to talk about this idea of winning a little bit. And when I think about winning, I think about several things. But I'm going to start out. Any NASCAR fans here? A few. Okay. So, this, I have some pictures of, of maybe some great racing moments. And the first one, let's see who this is. I know you know him. Either love him or hate him, right? Who hates him? Oh, really? Okay, good. And Jeff Gordon seems to be somebody that a lot of people don't like. Of course, one of my favorite racers, even though I really don't watch NASCAR, I live it in Miami when I drive up there, uh, is the next guy. I've always, I always thought he was kind of nice. Now, this is another guy, Dale Earnhardt, um, number three car, right? Not very exciting. Now, my favorite sport is football. Of course, being in South Florida, we are very familiar with a couple of women. You can say them in the same sentence. There you go, Craig. I knew you were going to say that. Yes, they are the axis of evil in the immortal words of Homer Simpson. No, there's uh, they're always so happy. Yes, Tom Brady, quarterback, was very special to This happens to be, if I'm not mistaken, the winning race of all time, right? Yeah. Oh, now I get a ball. Okay, there we go. There we go. There we go. Okay. I have no idea what connects everything up around here. Oh, I know what it was. You know, there's a lot of talk about the greatest athletes ever. And number two and number one on the list, there's a lot of debate. Number two generally considers this next guy the greatest. There's then the guy who's sort of acknowledged to be the greatest athlete of all time, basketball player of the 1950s. I, I, I tried to find picture every picture of him. He's flying through the air. I, I went. I was looking for one with his tongue out, but they were usually unflattering because that's just characteristic. I think that's a slam dunk for Tom Brady. He's the most athletic player. Now, one of my favorite athletes lately, lately I should say is someone probably some of you've never heard of. Um, interesting fellow. I, 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 I would say I run, but you know it's mostly walking. Because that's what you tell me. Run, jog, whatever. And so I, I have this annoying habit when the big marathons come along of watching them. Like Boston two weeks ago, I watched that on my TV. Last Sunday was the London Marathon. How many of you got up with me at 3 a.m. to watch the London Marathon? significant marathon. This is the finish of the marathon, I think, is what's next. That is the gentleman who finished. He is one of a group of African runners who seem to dominate the sport. In fact, he is cons widely considered the best marathoner in the world right now. Eliud, I don't know how to say his name. It's Kajikiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyagiyag
remember Tyler Bogan. He, he was here. He was one we got out of high school. Uh, and he was a good guy. And I remember he was so excited one meet when he broke in the mile race. He broke a five-minute mile, which is remarkable. I mean, that's really fast. I, I'll, I couldn't break that no matter what. But he broke it. He was so excited. This guy ran 26.2 miles, and he averaged four minutes and 41 seconds a mile. Can you imagine? I mean, Tyler, high school kid, running all out for a mile, breaks five minutes and causes this. And if you ever watch them, they don't even look like they're running fast. They're just sort of loping around. Like, oh, I could beat that guy. Yeah, right. I can't even imagine running that far that fast. So in the Olympics later this year, he's probably going to be the favorite and will most likely win. And depending on the conditions in Rio, I don't know if Rio Summer Olympics, you know, there's some undisputed sort of winner there. Maybe he'll, he'll finally shave that last seven seconds off. By the way, I think his time was two minutes, excuse me, two hours, three minutes, and four or five seconds. Since we're in church, we should talk about Bible heroes, right? Anybody have a Bible hero? Okay, everybody give me your Sunday school answer. What's your best guess? Yes. Everybody say David. Jonathan Edwards. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jesus, that's what we call the Sunday school answer. You know, everybody, of course, Jesus is our hero, but there are characters in the Bible that we look up to. David is one. Who said David? Okay, Curtis, David, what, what did you like about it? Was it the whole giant thing? Yeah, we can learn a lot. What's that? No fear. Excellent. Who else has got a hero? Daniel. What is it about him? Character, yes. Definitely put to it. Job? Now, there's one you don't hear every day. Give us the reason to look up to him. He said he had a boat. <laughs> that's that's the P's answer. The boat was paid for. Got it. There's probably a sermon in there. I just didn't prepare it for today. I don't think we should go any further. We should just pray and go home right now. That, that's what it feels to say. There's a lot of these, these people in Scripture um, that we can look up to and, and have some things that, that commend them to us. Uh, and, and if I was thinking about what it is about most of them, there, there's a verse in, in some of Paul's writings that I think as he describes how he viewed his life and how he viewed what he did would sum up most of these heroes of the faith, would sum up most of their lives and why we look up to them. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy today. Most of the, the scriptures will show up on the, on the screen as well. But if you brought your Bible and you want to turn there or on your electronic device, or if you didn't bring one, you want to grab one of the books under the, the seats there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is thought to be possibly one of the last 
books Paul wrote. Okay? And we'll see in the few verses we'll read in just a minute that we're getting toward the end of his life. And, and in 2 Timothy, he's writing to what is, well, generally considered his sort of son in the faith. Lots of his letters, as we know, were to churches. Most were, well, Romans and Corinthians and Thessalonians and all. Those were to groups or to churches that met in those cities. But, but there were three individuals that he wrote to personally, Titus, Philemon, and Timothy. Timothy's probably the closest relationship we have. And we get this glimpse into how Paul felt about Timothy through these two letters to Timothy. And particularly here in 2 Timothy, we're kind of coming to the end. In fact, in verse 6, the first verse that we'll look at today, Paul, Paul sort of explains that when he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Now, he's not in airport for his next connecting flight or anything. He is saying, I know I'm getting to the end of my life. I know I've lived my life, I've, I've done the things that, that I was supposed to do, and I, I see where I am, I understand time is getting short. And when you think about the things somebody might say toward the end of their lives, if you've thought about those experiences you've had in your life, when you've had some of those conversations with somebody that you cared about and they were getting close to you and they might have said some things to you that were particularly meaningful. And, and to Timothy, Paul is kind of in this vein giving that sort of, of message to him. And in the next verse, verse 7, he says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept faith. We're going to hang out for a long time right in that verse and, and look at what those three things mean over the course of our time together today. He goes on and finishes up in verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So Paul, writing to Timothy, coming to the end of his life, to the end of his ministry, wants to leave him some things. And as Paul looks at his life, he says, I can describe my life in three general ways. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. All those heroes of, of the Bible that we might think about, probably their lives could be summed up by those same three things. And today we want to see how we can apply that to our lives. What does that mean for you and I? We might not be, and I hope many of us aren't toward the end of our lives, But as we think about what God has laid out in front of us, the rest of our life, the, the rest of the time we have to serve Him, what does it mean to live so that looking back, we can say these three things? What does it mean to say, I have fought the good fight? Well, sometimes we learn what something means by learning what it doesn't mean. And what He doesn't mean or what He doesn't say is He doesn't say never fight. school, high school, how many of you ever saw a fight in high school? Yeah, it was like the, the, the entertainment event of the day. Everybody, you know, the chant would break out, everybody run over to see what was going on. It was just one of those things. Fights were in that sort of hormone-fueled age of life. Those sorts of things would happen. Um, so if you're here today, don't hear me tell you to fight, but I am saying Paul doesn't say never fight. You know, Jesus would tell us that turn the other cheek. We know that, that has value, but for Paul, he's not saying that there's never a time to fight. On the other hand, he's also not saying to fight every fight. Because we can fight over some crazy things, yes? Like, for example, I'm going to put a word up here, and I'm going to count to three, and you're going to pronounce the word. Are you ready? 
Okay, let's put the word up there. One, two, three. And how many of you said caramel? How many of you said it properly? Caramel. Caramel. Now, the interesting reason is, like, I actually was talking the other day and said caramel to Denise, and she looked at me like I said something crazy. She didn't know. They don't have any of that in the house. I mean, okay. Whatever. We didn't have any caramel either, unfortunately, for many of us. But, but there it is. Here, here's one that got me in trouble years ago. Next word, look at it, and I'm going to count to three again, and you're going to say it. I'm going to throw the word up there. Number one, number two, number three. How many of you said pecan? Like a pecan pie. I don't want no pecan pie. I want a pecan pie. Now, usually if you say caramel, you say pecan. If you say caramel, you say pecan. Is that true? Do we have that kind of interesting how it works? Listen, I said one, I think one of the first Thanksgiving, oh, I don't know if it's something about pecan pie. And Denise stopped in her tracks and she said, that's not even what it is. That is not a pecan. That's what you do in the woods. That is a pecan. And so she makes a pecan. probably had some silly fights in your life. You have gotten all bent out of shape over stuff that doesn't really amount to anything. Paul's not saying fight everybody. You know, we as Christians sometimes are really good at getting bent out of shape over stuff that doesn't matter. In fact, there is the sad statistic for a long time as, as Baptists that the number one way new churches were started was when a church split and became two churches. That was the way we start a new church. We get mad at each other, and people go over here and start their churches over here. Like people start pushing each other. That's sad. That's not God's design. And sometimes the stuff, I mean, you've read the stories. Are we going to get blue carpet or are we going to get red carpet? And churches would split. I know of a church that split over where they were going to put the air conditioning and got so heated in the church about where they would locate the outside unit of the air conditioning because they had to build some sort of a, a, a awning over it. And, oh, man, I mean, the, the church split over that. As it was, I mean, it's just sad that, that sometimes we get so caught up in thinking we're right that we'll fight over anything. But Paul doesn't say don't fight. And he also doesn't say fight everybody. He says fight the good fight. There are good saying it happened today, but have any of you ever had trouble getting your kids out of bed at this time? Uh, let's think of it. Have any of you ever had trouble getting your spouse out of bed? Just, just no, let's not go there. But kids, you know, in the morning, maybe, maybe the few days, maybe they're, they're in school all week, and it's Saturday is a sports day, and you've been out, and you know, it's just a long day. They were out in the sun, and they're hot and tired. You're trying to squeeze church decided to start at 9 a.m. because those people are crazy. And you know, <laughs> just getting them out of bed should be a fight. But you just kind of keep after them and you get them out of bed finally and you get some food in them and you strap them in the car seat. You put an extra tire. Some of us anyway. And you 
pull into church and they, like, they don't want to get out of the car and they don't want to go to the kids' worship time. They don't want to do this. And, and oh, boys, it would have just been easy, right, just to stay Something happens in, in this arena or in that class, and they hear something that clicks for the very first time. Maybe something you've been trying to, to reinforce in your life, and they hear it through the, through the Bible stories like a Daniel or a Job or, or any of the other heroes, a David, and they go, wow, I can relate to that. And God, like, turns on the light switch for them, and, and it changes the course of their life. Maybe that's the, the week that it all comes together, and they place their faith in Christ as, as Savior. That's fighting the good fight sometimes. It's finding those battles that are worth fighting. Marriage. Hey, have you noticed marriage is hard? Anyone? Keep your hand off. Those people you stood before God and your friends and family and pledged those vows to sometimes really get on your nerves. I see you husbands huddled really close to me. I see how this works. He's not talking about us, honey. Those other churches. Marriage is hard. I don't know what we've all been through. We all have stories, and there might have been times, or we may even be in a time right now in your marriage where, where it's just not fun, and you just assume give up. But that's a good fight to fight for your marriage. That's a good fight to fight. It's a good thing to, to, to persevere, to hold on, to deal with the struggle and the to fight for that relationship, to keep those vows. That's a, a good fight to fight. There are so many things we could look at. Maybe we have some folks who, who think about looking forward to marriage one day and, and dating. In the world we live in is tough. It's hard. The, the things that are normal in our world for young adults and for singles to deal with in dating there are temptations that 15, 20, 30 years ago were there, but maybe weren't as prevalent. And, and you're thinking, I want to I wanna keep a standard. I'm not just looking for a man. I'm looking for a godly man. I'm not just looking for a woman. I'm looking for a godly woman. And it's, it's hard waiting. And if I just lowered my standards a little, I know I could have a date or have a boyfriend or have a girlfriend or get, get a proposal. Fighting that fight, holding out for the standard God has, that godly individual is worth fighting for. There are fights worth fighting. There are fights that are the good fights. Paul said, fight that good fight. Stay in the battle. Paul, just a few verses before this, as he's talking to Timothy, as he's thinking about his life, he says some interesting things. Beginning in verse 2, he says this in the fifth, excuse me, wrong chapter, verse 2, chapter 4. He says to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and with careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths that you Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul's saying to Timothy, there's a fight to fight. So 
the truth, for the Word of God, for what God has shown us. And that's a fight we all need to listen. You know what? I would love if every sermon I ever heard always made me feel good. But you know, sometimes I hear a sermon, I go away feeling really bad. I go away going, wow. If you want, there are places where you can go and all you can do is feed your mind and just tell you how wonderful you are and how great you are. And when you open the Bible, the problem is the Bible says you are poor, wretched sinners. Just have a rest and read that, all right? Ungodly sinner. Just tell each other right now. Remind each other. Remember, you are an ungodly sinner. I saw that. I told you. Just go ahead. Or if it was Tuesday, whatever day it was, pick a day. confronted with things that are true that make us uncomfortable, that remind us God is holy and we aren't. And we need to conform to His standard and not dumb Him down to ours. That's a good fight to fight. And Paul says to Timothy, this young pastor, this young preacher of, of the church at Ephesus, it's going to be tempting as you're there leading them to kind of make the message something that will appeal to people and won't make them uncomfortable and won't put them on edge and, and, and won't confront them about the things that, that are wrong in their life. So don't give in to that temptation. We live in a world where people will listen, people will feel a leanness to hear that tickling of their ears, as you say, that, that description. Just not sound doctrine just to hear something that makes them feel good. It's a good fight to make sure you're sticking to what God has shown that, that pleases His Word. And so, so we want to be that kind. I want to be that kind of person, not looking for what's always easy, whether it's in relationship, in marriage, in life, in doctrine, but looking for what's true and right and good and noble and praiseworthy and excellent, which is exactly what we find those things. So, so Paul tells Timothy, listen, fight the good fight. There's a good fight. You need to make sure you're fighting that fight. But then all he says to that, he says, secondly, finish the race. start line. And the music is playing, and one of the, the racers that I liked was the Henry's up there. He was there. He, he was our he and fellows had played at the different marathons up there. They ran in six February. That was two months ago when they finished that. But 18,000 are lined up. Ryan Hall was one of the racers that I kind of looked up to at the time, and he was the kind of the official starter. He'd been at the Expo, so I went and heard him talk and, and all that. So here I am, 18,000 strangers together. The gun goes off. The crowd surges forward. I was way back in the front, actually, just getting started. So that was way back. I wasn't the guy. No, there was no finish line when I got there. That was like a medical check out. But nonetheless, I made it. You know, and, and, and the temptation with all those people, everybody, the music, you're, you're feeling good. You've, you've trained, you've, and you've actually tapered, as it's called, kind of rested the last week before your race. So you've got that that energy, and it was a great one to take off, but everybody's going fast. You're like, oh, this is great. And then, a little later in the race, <laughs> it's a great way to go over MacArthur, at least at the time of St. Stitt. Went over MacArthur.
to apologize to God. It's pretty sick. Christian in Maryland, so all our lights are on. So we run across the Miami Beach and run through the Metro District. And it's great. There's people cheering you on. And then you make the turn at the year I went to come back across the Venetian Causeway. And the Venetian Causeway does this. You know what Key Largo doesn't do? That bike path is remarkably flat. And there's not many crowds on the causeway. something about that. Paul knew what it was to tire and to be weary and to come against opposition. In fact, there's one interesting uh, episode in his life. It's in Acts chapter 14. Something happens to Paul as he's there. Paul's a guy that, as a preacher, apparently was a little bit controversial because a couple of riots broke out at different times when he would preach. That's pretty pretty controversial, and that would be the response of the people. And at one particular time, in Acts chapter 14, it says in verse 19, I think the verses are in here, but I don't know yet. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So Paul's preaching to them. His opponents come in, and they stone Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Can you imagine? Now, this was not Colorado stone. This was, I'm going to take rocks and throw it at you, and keep throwing them at you, and dozens of people are going to throw rocks of various sizes at you until you are dead stone. It's a horrible thought to think that was the way people would respond, but that's what happened. They stoned Paul. People gathered around, threw rocks at him, thinking he was dead. You must have been a sight to think that we have thrown enough rocks at this guy that he's dead. Well, obviously out, knocked out, I'm assuming bleeding, probably just laying there, not moving, to the point they could drag him outside the city, and he even doesn't respond when they're dragging him outside. Did I go like that? Yeah. Or it's felt like that? That the world is lined up just throwing stuff at you. Everywhere you turn, you're smacked around, you're hit, you're beaten up, life has got you down. Notice what happens in the next verse. This is so great. Verse 20, it says this, But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back in. One, he got up. That's pretty amazing. But two, what did he do? He went back into the place where they just tried to kill him. Kill him to death even. What kind of craziness is that? You want to talk about finishing the race, was determined to finish the race, to finish what God had called him to start. I cannot imagine being in a place, making the people so mad that they want to kill me, think they had killed me, and as soon as I could get back up, head back in to say, hey, maybe you missed my point. But that's what he did. Crazy that he would do that. Listen, folks, I want to be a part of a church that demonstrates what those disciples did. Because I will guarantee, if you will say, you've had a day like that, you know what you need? You need disciples to gather around you. We need to be the kind of church that we gather around those people whose life has beaten up. There's an old saying, you may have heard it, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. 
basically saying a lot of times at church when somebody gets beat up by life, we pile on.
unrealistic shot of never of what we're going to enjoy. You try to gut it out. I love the part where the people are coming up to his dad and he just don't even, don't mess with my boy. This should be us. As fellow believers, people who follow Jesus, look, we're going we're gonna to have times where we stumble, we fall. We need others to come alongside us, to help us up, to make us cross that finish line and to defy anyone who wants to come against us, the enemy and all those who will bring the stuff that comes and say, I'm with you. the race, because sometimes finishing the race is hard. I love that this happened, but I want to tell you this. Many men that I fought the good fight, finished the race, and came back to life with faith. up really early in the story, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, did you see? The serpent appeared and tempted Adam and Eve. And we pray that that would be for us later. Adam and Eve are I don't think his tactics have changed that much. And here we are trying our best to live for God, trying our best to do what he wants, to keep the faith, to, to finish the race fight the good fight, and the enemy comes along with a bunch of counterfeit things that maybe distract us from where we're going. There's a lot of things that, that can distract us from our lives. There's a lot of things, you know, we're, we're, we're on task. How many of you, this is like my pet peeve right away, I don't think you deserve this one, so I, sometimes you make things into devotions. Just for a few things. inventions at grocery stores everywhere is the express lane. And it is clearly marked on the sign. How many items are there? So you know. Would you believe people doing the express lane on grocery stores? Now, I will give some slack. Like if you have five, six cans of cat food, I might busy and there's nobody in the express line and all these and they'll come to me and say, sir, you can come to the express line. I said, I can't. Because it used to cheat us up. He really can't because he preaches about this at church and if somebody sees him, it's going to be the end. So I, I, will say, I will say to some, ask somebody else, I can't do it. I can't. I want to, but I can't. I just want to get through the line. I just want to get home, you know. I have important stuff to do. Can you part the Red Sea for Moses? Part the cashier line for me. Oh, praise the Lord. I don't know what to say. There's, there's something. Or, hey, I'll, 
just put something controversial on Facebook, you'll have all sorts of friends on Facebook. Can you imagine? And then the next verse is what I like to call the gospel according to the sailor's book. But Paul shook the adult, he shook the adult, shook the snake off into the fire and suffered. I, I printed the lyrics, but I'm not going to go any further than that. Shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effect. I mean, Paul is there. He said to everybody, we're going to be fine. Nobody's going to die if you do what I tell you. They did what I, he told them. They all got to shore. And then the guy who told them this, they're sure he's going to die. Right? But he just shakes it off. Nothing happens. They're expecting, I think the next verse says, to swell up and have all sorts of problems. The people are expecting to swell up, suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to them, they changed their minds and said, nope, keep it going. Crazy story, isn't it? Just a, I mean, this is, Paul's life is crazy up here. Stuff happens to Paul. And this is, you know, some of the, the worst things you could imagine happened to Paul. I mean, in just two, two chapters, 14 and 28, he's been stoned nearly to death, and he's been bitten by a snake that sure is going to kill him. But he can still write to Timothy, I have kept the faith. Listen, here's something that, that I think we can learn from Paul. What people think about you doesn't matter. Because you will have people of both kinds talk about you. People saying, well, they're this and that and the other. They're a failure. They're whatever. Don't believe them. And you'll have people on the other end saying, oh, you are so amazing. shake off what a lot of other people want to say about you, you need to get firmly in your mind what God thinks of you, because life will throw you curves. Life will be difficult. And you're sure, or you're unsure, or you're whatever. You need to know what God says about you. You need to spend time seeing how God views you and remembering that He loves you enough demonstrated his love to you that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you. And so your sin doesn't have to define you. In fact, the word that often the New Testament uses to talk about Christians, isn't Christian, it's sanctified. Yeah, ungodly sin will recover death. But you're sanctified. Isn't that a good thing? Not because of anything you've done, not because you've got some miracle in your past or a relic that they found or whatever the criteria is for sainthood in certain branches of Christianity, but because you are a saint because God has redeemed you by His Son's blood and He calls you by a new name that will eternally last. That's who you are. Sometimes I say if you've got to get away from the distraction, sometimes of the bad things people say about you, but also the good things people might want to say about you. You hold on to what faith ultimately to God himself who says you are and what he says you are and what he calls you to and where he sends you he will equip you and empower you to do those very things Timothy's kind of on the front end of his ministry I'm not sure what it might end up to be I'm not sure if he'd ever be world traveler who's mentored there. I'm not sure if he would face some of the difficulties of his mentor there. I'm not sure if he would be remembered for ages like Paul would be. Or if anything he wrote 
would be recorded and kept in a book we call the Bible. the race, because you might want to quit, or you might get knocked down. Don't let that stop you. Don't want people to get around you. Keep the faith. Remember what God has said about you, how God has defined you, what He has done for you, and live your life in light of those things. I think one of the best things that I can think of to describe how God uses us when I'm sitting with a little girl named Thank you.